Ask Wendy if she would come up and bring us this morning's Bible reading as we begin our journey through the book of Ruth. Good morning. The book of Ruth, chapter 1. Can you hear me? Naomi loses her husband and sons. In the days when, judge, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the, county, in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elim, Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites, is that right? (laughs) From Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Emelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. After they had lived there for about 10 years, both Melon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left with her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, She left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me even if I had a husband tonight, and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again, and then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her God. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. 
When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. <clears throat> when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the woman explained, women explained, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mora, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, and arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Here ends, this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. <clears throat> Thank you, Wendy. You picked a, picked a great reading there, the Epaphrophites and various others, didn't you? Before I start, I want to dispel any rumour that if you turn up at Alpha on the 22nd, that I will have all the answers to all your questions. That is simply not true. Just my colleague trying to set me up for a fall. But uh, let's pray as we uh, get going this morning on this journey into the book of Ruth. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for this wonderful story. And we pray, Lord God, that this morning and over these next few weeks that you'll be speaking truth and life into us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you've got to love a good story, haven't you? Uh, anyone enjoy a good love story? Anyone watched any films over Christmas with a good uh, sort of love story angle? One or two. One or two. Maybe you've absorbed yourself in a good book, good, good novel, a good uh, bit of romantic fiction. The book of Ruth reads like a plot from uh, a romantic novel. It's a story you could easily sell to a Hollywood movie director. Two boys flee from their homeland with their parents due to a natural disaster. The boys marry foreign women. The boys sadly die. One girl stays, one girl returns to her husband's homeland with the mother-in-law. The girl meets a wealthy landowner and they seem like a match made in heaven. A potential rival for the girl's hand in marriage appears. After a while, the rival backs down, the girl marries the landowner, they have a beautiful baby boy and they live happily ever after. It's a story of hope, of love, of selflessness, of obedience, and ultimately, of God's provision. It's a great little plot, but it's also a very mundane tale in many ways. The characters are very ordinary, very down-to-earth, very real life. It's a very human story. It's sandwiched between the first seven books of the Bible, with their emphasis on the great heroes of faith and nationhood and war, and the next six, which tell of the exploits of the kings and the armies. Ruth acts as something as a bridge. And the book of Ruth reminds us that the ordinary is very much entwined with God's plans and purposes. 
And over the next few weeks, the next four weeks, throughout January, we'll be thinking about this story and what it might be saying to us here in Down End today in the 21st century. But so we've got a good overview and a sense of uh, background as to where this fits in, let's watch uh, one of the Bible Project videos which gives us an overview of the Book of Ruth in its proper context. The Book of Ruth. It's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter 1 opens with this line, in the days when the judges ruled, and it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine, and so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there, the father of the family dies, and the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees. But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. Chapter 2 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in his field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, he prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness. So Ruth comes home that day, and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz, and she is thrilled. She says Boaz is their family redeemer. Now, This family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future for her family. Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow, and she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up, and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry 
her. Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family, and he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. In chapter 4, it all comes together. It turns out, at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter 1. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing, it's even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters as well. So each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan for their future. And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz. And each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taken place. This story is beautifully designed. And that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story. And that's how little God is mentioned. Right? The characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story. And that's its brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life, but not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decision and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about. So this, uh, this mini-series, uh, I would encourage you uh, to perhaps watch that again. I'll put the link in the uh, Christchurch community group so that you can uh, watch that one. And over the next uh, week or so, do read the story of Ruth.
It will only take about sort of 15 minutes, I guess, over a cup of coffee, and you'll be set up then for the next few weeks as we explore together. Well, my task this morning is to explore chapter one under the heading of sorrow and scarcity. A nice positive title for the first Sunday of the new year. But let's just remind ourselves of just how much sorrow and scarcity there is. There's a map that's going to be on the screen which shows the journey uh, that they travel on. If we look at the first few verses of Ruth chapter 1, there is so much going on. So in verse 1 we're told that there is famine in the land of Israel. Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and their two sons flee the country and they settle down in Moab. We know that they're, um, they're probably not particularly poor. We know, we're told, that they owned a parcel of land. But they were desperate. And in their eyes, life had become unbearable. And so they make this journey. And they find themselves displaced. And by verse 3, we're reading of the grief they then experience as they try and settle down in this new land. Elimelech dies, and Naomi is left in a strange land, isolated and widowed. Things pick up for a while as her sons grow up and meet a couple of local girls and get married. There's cause for joy and celebration, but that doesn't last long, because by verse 5, the sons are both dead, and Naomi's grief is multiplied. That's a lot of sorrow crammed into a few short verses. By verse 8, we're getting more emotion. There's plenty of wrestling going on. Naomi is trying to work out what is best for her daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. And as she contemplates returning to Israel, where the famine has passed, she senses that they'd be better off staying in Moab and finding new husbands from their own culture. In verse 9, we find tears. Naomi and her daughters are considering going their separate ways. There's much weeping as they review all the options. And you can sense Naomi's heartache as she seeks her best for Ruth and Orpah, whilst bearing the loss of the men in her family. <coughs> there's deep pain. And there's a feeling that God has rejected her. In verse 13, we read her words. The Lord's hand has turned against me. It's honest, it's real. She's lamenting her loss and she lashes out to find someone, something to blame. What transpires then is that Orpah decides to stay in Moab and there's no judgment against her for that. Whereas Ruth will not be departed, will not be parted from her mother-in-law. And we're invited into a moment of great intimacy as Ruth cries out, don't urge me to leave you. Next slide, I think, Tim. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. A beautiful, heartfelt speech expressing her total commitment. 
So off they set back to Bethlehem, and it's 10 years since they left. Naomi has changed. Her circumstances are very different. The country's changed, but she's still remembered by some in her community, and they want to know her story. (coughs) And you can just imagine the scene. You can just picture the scene, can't you, as her old neighbours and her friends tease the detail out of her, of all that's been going on in these past few years. The tales of pain and loss and rejection come tumbling from her lips. And she says, you might as well call me Mara, which means bitter, because God has let me down. There's very little hope in chapter one. There are a number of fresh starts, but each one seems to end in tragedy. But the final verse just hints that things are about to change. There's a mention, thank you so much, there's a mention that the barley harvest is beginning. And as we read on into chapters 2, 3, and 4, we'll see that that is very crucial as the plot begins to unfold. But sorrow and scarcity... I wonder how those themes resonate with us as we start a new year, as we go into 2024. Three questions for us to consider. I wonder where you feel that you're meeting those twin imposters of sorrow and scarcity at the moment. Where are the signs of redemption? for you in the midst of them? Where is the hope that only God can bring? And how might you look for and trust in God's provision in those circumstances? Just take a few moments to consider those questions while I try and clear my throat. You see, the Book of Ruth, it's not a a distant relic from a bygone age. It's very real and it's very earthy. It acknowledges the pain and struggle of life on this earth. The next slide just reminds us of some of the themes that come up in this first chapter. The famine, the displacement, the grief, the isolation, the honest wrestling, the tears, the the sense of rejection by others and by God himself. The sort of stuff which affects every community and every church family and congregation around the world. It affects every part of society. In my work with teenagers at Dane Hill at the youth camps, uh, one of the features over the last couple of years has been the increase in anxiety that young people are experiencing and the greater sense of the, um, the sort of sorrow and scarcity expressed and uh, borne out through mental health struggles, sense from young people they've missed out because of some of the things of COVID also affected by the cost of living crisis in their families. Many young people experiencing great social 
unease and anxiety. Many of you here this morning will have encountered or will be encountering one or more of these challenges at the moment. Very few of us breeze through life without experiencing some level of sorrow and scarcity. If we do, we're either very fortunate or perhaps something less than human. But in these things, we can find redemption. And we can help bring redemption to others. In the book of Ruth, uh, two people show incredible love and generosity to Naomi. Ruth herself, with a wholehearted commitment, summed up in that powerful speech, where the easy option would be for her to stay in Moab with her sister. But she's prompted to stick with her mother-in-law wherever that might lead. And she is a sign of hope and a brighter future. And then later in the story, as hinted at in the video, we'll meet Boaz, who has the power to do whatever he wants, or do absolutely nothing to help Ruth and Naomi. And he chooses to show integrity and deep compassion and care and loyalty. Loyalty is that common feature of each of those two individuals. I know in the, uh, in the darkest and most challenging times of my life, I've been blessed with friends who've stuck with me through thick and thin. I can think of two in particular, incredible sources of support and encouragement when things have felt bleak, showing the sort of stickability of Ruth and Boaz, signs to me of that redemptive hope. I'd encourage you to reflect where you have experienced others offering such hope to you, being alongside you in your struggles but also where you might be called to offer that same hope, showing compassion, sticking with someone, showing true friendship, sharing and engaging and dwelling in their pain. But there's another even more potent sign of hope in this story, which reminds the readers that the ordinary stories of life are somehow caught up in God's wider redemptive purposes. Chapter 1 is pretty depressing. But by the end of the story, not only does Naomi become a granny, but her grandson will go on to be the grandfather of King David, whose family line can be traced all the way down to Jesus himself, the greatest sign of redemptive hope. There's a verse that's uh, struck me really powerfully in this first week of 2024. It's from Psalm 27, verses 13 to 14, the very end uh, of that psalm, where, where David's wrestling with his life circumstances, and he cries out, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I wonder how those words resonate with you. Whether you're going through real challenges and experiencing something of that sorrow and scarcity, or whether things are pretty good at the moment. That sense of trusting in God and looking to him for his provision in the year ahead. 
Are we prepared to trust in God and his provision, whatever life throws at us? Well, over these next few weeks, we'll unpack this story some more. As I say, I do encourage you to go away and, uh, and read it. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to make the connections for God's redemptive purposes for our lives and for the lives of others in our community. Amen.